right, all right. So, hey, guys, uh, we've got Dr. Omar Moore in Jacksonville for uh, our podcast today on Legally Exhausted. Um, Dr. Omar Moore, I met him at, uh, we did a Top Golf event. I met you there, uh, and we were talking for like the whole night about TBIs. And actually, I got a bunch of complaints from other doctors that were there that were like, hey, man, you kept talking to this guy the whole night. I didn't have time to say hi to you. Uh, what was going on? And I was like, oh, we we're talking about TBIs. That was that was fun for me. The big topic. The big topic. So, um, <laughs> so uh, Doc, tell us about uh, where in Jacksonville you are and um, uh, how long you've been there and uh, a little bit of background about yourself, where you went to school, stuff like that. Yeah, most certainly, most certainly. So uh, I'm actually uh, from the panhandle of Florida. So actually a little town called Niceville. Oh. Yes, there is such a place. I know one Niceville, other person from Florida. there. Yeah. Yeah, that's a nice place to grow up. Cool. <laughs> As people always ask me. But yeah, uh, yeah so I, uh, I went to school, went to medical school, UF, Gainesville. Um, ended up staying on to do my residency. Did my residency in Jacksonville, neurology residency. Uh, and then ended up going to Chicago uh, to do clinical neurophysiology, which is actually the study of kind of the electrodynamics of the brain. So your brain uses electricity to, you know, carry out its functions. And so that's what uh, electrophysiology is. Um, came down, I was working at Baptist for two years. I was doing neurohospitalist. I was reading EEGs um, for the very busy neuro ICU and of the rest of the hospital. Uh, I left Baptist after two years, opened my own practice. It's called Florida Seizure Doc. Uh, that's my my formal training is, you know, basically an epilepsy seizure. Okay. Um, and so, yeah. And so been doing a lot of telehealth. I do a lot awesome. of telehealth in regards to seizure. I see headaches, headache patients, dementia, some dementia patients. And, um, got more and more into, uh, into TBI. And so started doing some traumatic brain injury assessments. And, uh, that's, that's what I've been doing recently. I have, uh, a, my primary office is Orlando and then oh. also the clinic here in Jacksonville. Oh, okay. Cause I saw you in Jacksonville. I just assumed you're in Jacksonville. I noticed on your website, you have a 407 number as well. So you, you treat uh, patients in both locations or just one? Yeah. So the, the telehealth is, you know, kind of what got me started whenever I opened my own clinic, COVID was at its max. And so yeah, telehealth was, you know, that was, it was all the rage at that time, you know, kind of mid COVID cycle. So I kind of took, took the telehealth model and just kind of ran with it. Okay. And then I started to see patients in clinic. My clinic is, uh, in Jacksonville. Okay. Okay, cool. So, um, yeah, first of all, awesome work with TBIs. Uh, TBIs is the most underreported, uh, undiagnosed injury. Um, hospitals miss it all the time. I've seen medical doctors miss it. Chiropractors miss it. Uh, everybody misses it. And then I'm, I'm working, you know, I'm, I do auto accidents. I'm, I'm working with a client. They're telling me they're having memory issues um, balance issues, sensitivity to light, like all these things, uh, tinnitus, which is ringing in the ears for those that don't know. And they're having all these issues. And I say, did you say any of this to your doctor? Oh yeah, I told them, but they didn't, they didn't, they didn't, I don't know what they did with it. And I'm like, you have a concussion. Um, sometimes they call TBI post-concussion syndrome, right? Um, so yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I tell them, you know, 
you have a TBI, you need to go see a specialist. And so um, there's not enough neurologists. I'm, I'm happy that you do telehealth because there's not enough neurologists um, doing anything um, uh, in Florida. They're, they're like a, a hidden gem. <laughs> I, I, I know probably a thousand doctors that I know and I know uh, you and one other guy are neurologists. The other guy will never answer my call if I, I told him he won the lottery. I can't even get him on the phone. So, um, so I'm yeah, glad that you uh, right. treat patients and especially after accidents. Um, so you, you and I were talking about uh, TBIs. Um, uh, what if, if, if there's a doctor listening to this chat, uh, the podcast right now, what are the most common symptoms that they like red flags that they should be one documenting? Cause a lot of doctors have horrible notes and don't document the most important things, but what, what are some signs? Cause I, I know a lot of doctors say, Hey, I get it. They're super underreported. Nobody documents uh, brain injuries, but what do they look for? Like just layman's terms. Yeah. Yeah. So most, most certainly this whole TBI thing it well, first of all, I mean, just even thinking about the brain itself, uh, you know, if you break your arm, it's it's obvious, you know, first of all, you, obviously, you know, you broke your arm, but other people can see that you broke your arm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you want to take it one step further, you can do an x-ray and see that you broke your arm. Same thing if you twist your ankle. Um, other things, you know, kind of in the medical realm uh, seem to be fairly easily diagnosable, uh, blood pressure, right? You check mm-hmm. somebody's blood pressure, blood sugar. It's very easy. I mean, you can prick your finger and check your blood sugar at home, um, to indicate that you have diabetes. Um, but whenever it comes to the brain, it's just this big black box. And then it's, it's one of those things where people think that it's so complicated. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to take it into consideration. And so it's just this mystery realm, but it does not have to be this mystery realm. Um, So what I like to tell people is just starting off when you think about concussion. So somebody gets hit in the head and they lose consciousness for any period of time. You you have a concussion. Okay. By, by, you know, medical criteria, you have a concussion. Um, Taking it, you know, one step further, if you have a period of, uh, you know, uh, confusion, you know, for whatever duration and, you know, you kind of have to be a little bit specific because then now you're kind of getting into some some different criteria. But if you have if you hit yourself in the head and then there's a period of confusion, you don't know your name, you don't know your spouse's name, uh, you, you forget your phone number, you know, even if it's just for you know five minutes, 10 minutes, again, you're you're now into the realm of concussion by okay. by medical criteria. Then it gets a little bit more vague after that. So those are those are kind of the knee jerk response, the knee jerk sort of answers, like red flags, like hey, this red guy's flag, definitely absolutely. Got you, you got hit in the head. You lost consciousness. You got hit in the head. You had a period of confusion. You're you you need to go see you know a neurologist. You need to see a specialist because you know you you had a concussion <clears throat> and before I go further, concussion and mild traumatic brain injury, they're synonymous. You can use those two words or you know phrases interchangeably. Uh, okay, so loss of consciousness, confusion, those are those are obvious. Then you 
get a little bit more into the nuance, um, there's a whole constellation of symptoms that goes along with concussion. So in regards to people can have headaches, dizziness, uh, concentration deficits, memory impairment, nausea, uh, insomnia, mood dysfunction, things like anxiety or depression. And so now when you're going through and okay, sure, somebody, you know, hit their head and they're only having one of those symptoms. That's not really enough to say, hey, you have a concussion. But once you start kind of going down the list and you're gathering two, three, four of these different symptoms in the same person after they hit their head, now you're beginning to become concerned. Okay, this person hit their head. Do they have a concussion? And again, same sort of thing. They need to go see a specialist to see if they actually injured themselves, injured their brain. Awesome. So, so, um, I just had a client who did not hit his head, did not lose consciousness, but um, had a severe impact in the car, um, but did not does not remember hitting their head. There's no signs of an injury to the head. Is is what are your thoughts on that as far as having uh, some type of uh, MTBI or concussion? Mm-hmm. Is that is that possible? And how likely is something like that? Because I've seen people with the symptoms, but they deny hitting their head. And um, not only do they deny losing consciousness, but a lot of people forget that they lost consciousness because they were unconscious. They mm-hmm. People yeah. tell them, yeah, yeah. people tell them, hey, uh, I saw you, you were unconscious in the car. This guy definitely, that didn't happen. What are your thoughts on that? Do you have to strike your head? Yeah. So yeah, we can, we'll take it one step further. So you do not have to hit your head. So the injury that occurs is actually an acceleration, de-acceleration phenomena. Your brain is very soft. Your brain is like the consistency of jello. It's very, very soft. It's also very, very delicate. And so when you have these sudden acceleration, de-acceleration events, you didn't hit your head, you know, you're, let's just say it's a car accident. You're wearing your seatbelt, you got the chest strap, you're in a front end collision. Let's just say the airbag doesn't go off, you know, not to confuse things, right? Mm -hmm. So no airbag goes off. You don't actually hit your head on the airbag or hit your head on anything else. You just have one of these whiplash injuries. You know, you're going fast and you suddenly deaccelerate. If it happens severe enough, what can what can happen is you can actually have shearing forces within the brain that break some of the connections, Mm. some of those axons. Axons are like the wiring of the brain cells. Okay. And they can actually become, uh, you know, disturbed. They can actually break when you have sudden deaccelerations just because the brain is so soft. And so you do not actually have to hit your head. Now, in that same regard, if someone, you know, just kind of slips, they're, they're standing and they kind of slip, but they catch themselves, you have to think, Okay, was that a sudden enough deacceleration that you, you know, were, were able to, you know, add enough force to the brain to, to cause some sheer injury? Mm-hmm. You always have to think about the mechanism. If you're driving 60 miles an hour and then yeah. you go to zero within a fraction of a second, you're going to be worried. But gotcha. if you're just standing and you kind of slip and fall and catch yourself, you're not as worried. I, I had that case you're, at a at a Publix. The lady uh, slipped and fell, um, and she uh, caught herself. She never hit the ground. She actually caught herself. Not even her knee touched the ground, and she had she ended up getting uh, a knee surgery and all this stuff. And then I, you know, 
the stores, they don't show you the video footage until you're going to file a lawsuit. And so they showed it to me and I'm like, lady, you didn't, I, as a matter of fact, I couldn't even see the fall on the video. And I showed it to her and she goes, no, that's where I fell right there. That it looked like it, it was bizarre. It was bizarre yes. what she was trying to do, but um, it, it so, happens. So yeah. yeah, that you're kind of getting to, to, you know, an area that uh, is, is a little, you know, touchy J- just because some of these instances happen in situations where, you know, people stand to gain benefit. And so anybody can just go online and anybody can look at the symptoms of concussion, right? You mm-hmm. just Google concussion. You see all the symptoms, like okay, dizziness, headache, nausea, insomnia, and then they can show up to you, your office and give you all of those symptoms or even right. show up to my office and the same thing, give me all the symptoms. So I always try to pay particular attention to the, the injury uh, or excuse me, to the actual, you know, accident, the mechanism of, of like the, the causation, the, the fall. Yeah. But yeah. So your other question that, um, that you had brought up is people don't remember if they lost consciousness and you're asking them, did you lose consciousness? And they say, I don't know. Yeah. And the way that I like to tease that out is I will really kind of hold them to it and go through kind of a line of questioning. I'm kind of you know, belaboring the point really with the questioning, but usually what I do, probably the easiest way to do it is tell me what, tell me all the events that led up to the accident or to the, you know, the incident. And then if you're not sure if you lost consciousness, just tell me what you remember next. Right. So I'll give you an example. Uh, I'll talk, I was talking to a patient the other day, they were in a car accident they did not think that they lost consciousness, that there was no impairment of consciousness. But the last thing they remember was being in the accident. And then the next thing they remember is a bystander was, was at the window of the vehicle. Yep. So from the time the accident happened until the time a bystander is now standing at your window, how long is that? 30 seconds, maybe a minute or so. And so there was a period of time, there was about a 30 second window where she if she wasn't unconscious, at least she was confused and had amnesia, post-traumatic amnesia for that 30 seconds. Yeah. So, um, brain injuries has kind of, uh, fascinated me for the last, I want to say seven years or so. And I, I used to work heavily with a neuropsychologist who's now semi-retired, but, um, this neuropsych was interviewing one of my clients, uh, that we had filed a lawsuit on insurance company was giving the guy a tough time. He's on a motorcycle. And the guy says, I was unconscious for one minute. That was it. He actually was unconscious for two weeks. Oh, <laughs> for wow. two weeks. And he swore up and down that it was one minute and that was it. And uh, it was two weeks. And we have the uh, medical records from the hospital saying he was unconscious for two weeks. And mm-hmm. his girlfriend uh, corroborating this. Uh, that I was by his bedside for two weeks. This was before COVID when you could have a loved one in the hospital. (laughs) Um, And uh, the guy was flabbergasted. He thinks it's a conspiracy. And I'm like, (laughs) no, this is what happened. Your brain shut down. You don't know how long it's been shut down for. And and yeah, and I I get that all the time too, uh, where someone was was tapping on the window and then I realized Mm -hmm. what was going on. And there's no way somebody got in an accident right away and then just started tapping on your window. They, you, you were unconscious mm-hmm. for a period of time and, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. So that's, that, that's actually, <laughs> yeah, that case, uh, we settled that one for a lot of money. The guy was on a motorcycle, but, um, I mean, 
that was just that was just a tough case. They were blaming him because he was on a motorcycle. Nobody likes motorcyclists in Florida. So um, he he yeah. but 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 we 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 litigated that case. Whatever. But um, to, to to go back to your brain injury, um, I'm noticing now people such as yourself are are um, starting to have uh, better tools for diagnosing these injuries. Besides the yeah, I check a bunch of boxes on these symptoms. You know, if you ask. If you ask any married woman, they're going to say, oh yeah, I have a headache. It's called my husband, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, So, so they're checking these boxes, but um, what type of testing do you offer? And then do you have any treatments that you provide or is there any uh, recommendations of um, anybody that you know that does treatment? Cause I, I I get a lot of clients where um, they have a brain injury, but it's sketchy as far as treatment goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's, yeah, let's delve into that. So, uh, kind of back to what we were saying before you have somebody there in some kind of incident or fall, or they're injured at work. Uh, there's, you know, some benefit to be gained if they were actually hurt, uh, at work or, you know, at some facility like Publix. And so they can, Google the symptoms of concussion, come and tell you that they have every single one of those symptoms Mm -hmm. and are incredibly positive for concussion. But what that ends up being from a legal standpoint is hearsay. Mm -hmm. That's just hearsay. You know, that's, that's just, you know, one person's subjective opinion of, uh, of events or even of, of how they feel. And to the medical community, it's the same sort of thing. We, we try to separate out subjectivity from objectivity. And so somebody comes into the emergency room, they're giving you a bunch of symptoms. We literally actually call that section because when we're writing our notes, we have different sections of the note. We actually call that section of the note, you know, the subjective sort of part of the note. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get into the objective findings. You're going to do vitals like blood pressure, heart rate, they are where they are. Um, and then you're going to do laboratory tests. Those again are objective. You're going to do imaging studies, you know, either there's a break on the x-ray, you know, somebody broke their arm on the x-ray or there, there's no break on the x-ray. Mm-hmm. So you want to apply those same sort of, uh, you know, diagnostic criteria to the brain and specifically to concussion and traumatic brain injury. And so the way that you do that is, Somebody comes in, gives you a whole bunch of subjective symptoms. You say, oh, wow, okay, you you hit your head. You have all these symptoms. It really sounds like you have a concussion. But again, it's subjective. Mm-hmm. Let's now move into the objective part of this. So there's a whole host now of diagnostic studies that we can do that, uh, that can actually you know, sh- shed some light and, and, and give you some objectivity to this. Uh, the first that I'll go over is MRI. So an MRI of the brain, but not just a normal MRI. It's something called MRI with DTI. So DTI stands for diffusion tensor imaging. Basically what that is, is it's some um, very nice mathematics that looks at uh, uh, basically vectors. Vectors are you know, directional forces. And the reason it's not called a vector, the reason it's called tensor is because these are electric charges. And so electric charges um, behave slightly differently. 
than than regular objects. And the reason I'm getting into this is because I'll go into how an MRI works. The way an MRI works is it's just a big, huge magnet, and it sends magnetic pulses uh, as you're going through that tube, that MRI tube. It's kind of pulsing you with these big magnetic sort of uh, uh, currents. And what happens is the water molecule is like a bar magnet. You know, there's an oxygen and two hydrogens. And so what's happening is that you're losing water me here. molecule. You're, you're losing me oh. here. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Too, yeah. Okay, too, okay. too hard. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, okay, I, think okay. I, I think I told you I own two MRI centers. We, we do DTI scans too. Um, okay, okay. but yeah, I, I just, I tell people it's a magnet. You can see what's going on inside. I don't, I don't even know all of this that you're talking about. Obviously I know about DTI scans, but, um, yeah, yeah. yeah way, way well, too deep for just, me, man. Just I, I just, I just went yeah, to law school. Okay. It, <laughs> let's just take it to this level for one second. Okay. All you really need to know is the, the, let's start off with the actual structure of the brain, right? Let's just start there. Okay. So what people don't realize is just the surface of your brain is, is the brain cells. And I'm going to simplify this. This is like a way oversimplification, okay. but the actual surface of your brain is the brain cells. Things deeper to that are actually just the wires. Okay. okay. So your brain is actually made up of a lot of wiring. Um, and so what actually gets injured when you have a concussion or a traumatic brain injury, usually is the wiring, the wire, there'll be breaks in the wires. And so the reason I was kind of going into the MRI with DTI is it's not a regular MRI. What they mm. are able to do with this mathematics is they're able to see which direction water molecules are traveling when they're being pulsed by that big magnet from the MRI machine. Okay. 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 And what's so great about that is now you can see the individual wires of the brain that you can't see on a regular MRI. You can see the overlying structure on a regular MRI, but you can't really see what's going on with the, the wires and whether the wires have any, any breaks in them. And so that's the technology that it has allowed us to now kind of, you know, uh, delve in a little bit deeper and, and see the, the finer structure of the brain. Okay. And so MRI with DTI, the, you know, initial sort of studies and theory that went into it were, were all investigated in, in the nineties. Um, technology was perfected in the two thousands and then in about 2010 or so around that time, it kind of went a little bit, a little bit more mainstream. Mm -hmm. And so this is a relatively new technology, this, this MRI with DTI yeah. for not new, not incredibly new, but for it to be mainstream, you know, it's, for people to be using it commonly and, and doing research studies and that sort of thing. Yeah. And so what that gives you is it gives you, it ends up turning the brain into this thing that looks like a, uh, just a whole bunch of spaghetti. It looks like rainbowed, rainbow colored spaghetti. The, the, the yeah. reason I say rainbow colored spaghetti is because the wires are in three dimensions. Your brain is like a three dimensional object, right? Mm -hmm. And the wires are going different directions. So like forwards, backwards, up, down, side to side. And so they added color in there to tell you which direction the wires are going. Okay. And what you can do is you can now look at that and you can compare one hemisphere to the other and you can say, oh, okay, there are wires here on this side, like in the right front part of your brain, I see a bunch of wires, but in the left 
front part of your brain, there's not as many wires there. There, there okay. should be a lot of wires there, you know, as many on the other side, but there's not. And so it gives you an objective finding saying okay. there is an injury here. Yeah. You, so that's, that's MRI with DTI. Yeah. You, you were talking about, it's a relatively, uh, well, I guess not new technology, but widely more widely accepted, but it's, it's funny because I have doctors call me, Abe, um, uh, this patient has a possible brain injury. I'm going to send him for a brain scan. And I'm like, uh, doc, have you ever heard of a DTI brain scan? And they're like, yeah, no, what is that? And uh, so on the script, uh, you don't just order an MRI scan. You have to order uh, or MRI of the brain. You have to order MRI of the brain with DTI uh, component or DTI software. Um, and a lot of doctors don't know because I guess, I don't know, 20 years ago, they didn't talk about this in school. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is for medical doctors. This is for chiropractors. A lot of them just don't know about DTI. So, um, it's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, I, it is becoming more widely accepted because we do the scans at my center more now than we did, uh, even three years ago. But, um, yeah. it's, 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 it's kind of like constantly, uh, educating the doctors about it. They don't even know about it. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's so, interesting. So large, large hospitals will really any hospital, they're not doing MRI with DTI. Mm -hmm. so it's a very specific thing. And, and you're looking for, you're trying to get a very specific answer. So let's just kind of zoom out for a second and just take the, the kind of look at the larger picture here. So somebody's in a car accident, uh, you know, they're driving down the road. They may get in some high speed accident, driving 60 miles an hour, their car rolls over a few times, but they're wearing their seatbelts. Airbags went off. Obviously, their head got, you know, very accelerated and deaccelerated. Mm -hmm. And maybe they even lost consciousness for a period of time. Maybe they were unconscious for like five minutes, but then they regained consciousness. Okay. At the moment, they seem like they're okay. Maybe they're a little confused, but by the time they get to the hospital, confusion has mostly cleared up. Mm -hmm. Um the emergency room physician comes in, looks at them, bunch of x-rays, uh, checking vitals, maybe getting some labs. They do a CT scan, not an MRI. They do a CT scan of the brain to look if there's been any gross injury. When, when I say gross, I mean any obvious injury to the brain. Mm -hmm. And probably most importantly, just to make sure that you don't have any blood on your brain. That's mm -hmm. probably the most dangerous thing. CT scan comes back looks okay. Persons, you know, they, they know their name, they know their wife's name, they know their phone number, they get discharged home. That's the normal way that, that situations like that go down. Yep. And so it never even gets to the point of MRI, much less MRI with DTI. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of people, uh, and it's, it's kind of sad because I'm sure you see it all the time too. I went to the hospital and they said I was okay. That's not what the hospital says. The hospital says you're not going to die. Get the hell out of here. We're going to charge you twenty, thirty thousand dollars next month. Uh, they don't tell you you're okay, and a lot of people think that, and so um, they go treat with their doctors like yourself, and and they're probably shocked to find out that they have some type of an injury. But uh, people don't. A lot of people don't realize hospitals make sure you're okay. You're not going to die. Nothing life threatening, and then ship you out after a car accident, right? Um, so yeah, uh, when, when, when would you say in your opinion is the appropriate time to order, mm -hmm. uh, an MRI of the brain with DTI scan, um, roughly. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so there's a, a pattern of injury that happens. Your head gets shaken around. Maybe you did actually break some of the the connections, some of that wiring in your brain. You you know snapped some of the wires. Basically, there's going to be a period of inflammation, and so things are going to kind of swell in your brain. And the symptoms are most prominent, um, you know, at that that first stage. There's studies in athletes when you look at football players that actually get concussion. The the vast majority of them, there was one study that I was reading where they were saying 91% of these football players that that had a sort of you know mild concussion um, returned to normal within about three weeks. And when I say return to normal, I mean like uh, functionally they like return to normal. They're not dizzy okay. anymore. They're not nauseous their concentration is starting to come back, those sort of clinical things. Um, But there's that period of inflammation within the first month to probably two months that your brain, it's, it's almost as if you sprained your brain. And if you, the reason I like to say that, and, and I tell my patients the same thing is because think about a different part of your body that you may sprain. Let, let's say you sprain your ankle, right? Mm-hmm. So when you first sprain your ankle, it's, it's swollen, you know, that's inflammation there and that's swelling. And if you were to do an MRI of your ankle, it's not going to look so good. It's a bunch of, you know, swelling and inflammation in there. But then as time goes on two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, the swelling goes down, down, down. And so that same sort of thing is happening with your actual brain. Um, if you were to get an MRI with DTI, shortly after like a week or two after a a bad concussion or traumatic brain injury what you end up having is you have the addition of all of that swelling so it can actually look worse than than uh, than it is than it than it will i guess i should say after that swelling calms down so the the optimal time is is usually about three months give or take you know depending on the actual injury how much swelling there is usually kind of you're safe if you're like at that three month time point, because what you're actually looking for is you're looking for long-term injury. Um, I mean, you could, if you had all the money in the world and, and time wasn't an issue either, you could just do a whole series of, you know, MRI with DTI images, you know, maybe like right when it happened and then a week after, and maybe a month after two, three months after to kind of see the progression but um, what ends up happening is, again, a lot of people get better from concussion, mild concussion. A mm-hmm. lot of people get better. Mm-hmm. The people that I typically see are usually outside of a month. And they okay. come to me. They're having a lot of symptoms, persistent symptoms, uh, sometimes even worsening symptoms, mm-hmm. decreased concentration, memory issues, headaches, insomnia. In very intense anxiety, even to the point of panic attacks. And it's been longer than sort of that three month or excuse me, three week time point. And yeah. they're still just very symptomatic. Then they're coming to me and now I'm evaluating them and I'm saying, okay, well, yeah, you had a concussion, but do you have lasting damage? And, and what do we need to do about it? We need to diagnose it, figure out what's going on and what do we need to do about it? So going, let's, let's um, kind of talk more about diagnostics here for, for a second. So aside from DTI, MRI with DTI, uh, the other 
kind of leading diagnostic procedure that you can do uh, in, in regards to TBI and concussion is EEG. Okay. But this, it's, it's going to be kind of a similar concept to the MRI. It's not just a regular EEG. It's actually what we call quantitative EEG. And so what quantitative EEG does is it actually takes the information that you would get from an EEG and it runs it through a computer and the computer is able to analyze things much better than, than a human could. And okay. so let's talk about EEG for a second. So EEG is a test where they put some electrodes on your head um, with quantitative EEG. Usually it's 19, but 19 little metal electrodes on your head and you know have these wires coming and the wires get plugged into a, a recording box. And what that's doing is it's measuring the electrical activity of the brain. Wow. So the way that your brain works is, let's just say, for example, you have two brain cells. Those brain cells will send little electrical impulses back and forth to each other to communicate. Uh, communicate. So, sounds like your you're talking brain, about my brother, two, two brain cells, man. <laughs> two brain cells, yeah. There, there are many people out there with, with two brain cells. Yeah. <laughs> Rubbing up against each other. Um, <laughs> no, no offense to anyone. Uh, so the uh, electrical impulses that these brain cells send back and forth to each other your your brain actually has billions of brain cells somewhere on the order of like 86 billion with a b wow. billion brain cells so there's a lot of electricity going on inside your head there's actually enough electricity to power a light bulb wow a lot of stuff going on up there um and so the when you're measuring when you go to measure the the brain activity the or excuse me the electrical activity of your brain everyone's brain should fall within a certain range. Everybody's brains, whether they have two brain cells or 86 billion brain cells, the pattern is, is the same for everyone. And so let me describe that. And then we'll kind of talk about how that, you know, comes into play with, with traumatic brain injury. So your brain, you and your brain, you're actually almost kind of taking little snapshots of your environment. As you're going through your day, you're you're kind of taking these pictures. Um, it's the the way that I like to, to tell people is it's almost like one of those old school movie projectors. Okay. Film, right? So those old school movie projectors, they the film, the little individual pictures actually go by at about 24 frames per second. Okay. okay. And when it's going by that fast, when the pictures are going by the screen that fast, it actually looks like a movie. You know, the car is driving by or the horse is is running. Your brain is taking little snapshots and it's going at about eight to 12 frames per second. OK, okay. Um, so that's why the movie, when it's going at 24 frames per second, it's going so much faster. You can't really perceive it. Right. But mm -hmm. if you were to slow that movie reel down, maybe to like 10 frames per second or even like five frames per second now they're just appearing as individual pictures you're okay. saying that that's not a movie that's that's just five pictures flashing on, on the screen every second you know you can start to perceive that as it goes slower your your brain goes at about eight to twelve okay so and that's everybody that goes for everybody okay so now when we do the eeg and we do the analysis if we're looking at some region of the brain and it's going slower like let's say for example it's a, it's only going at like six frames per second 
or five frames per second, you know that there's some injury to that area of the brain. And then it kind of goes a step further because the different regions of the brain are going to be talking to each other and, and trying to communicate. And so then you get into things like phase. Uh, basically what that is, is, you know, are, are the two regions of the brain in phase with each other? Even though a signal goes from one part of your brain to the other part of your brain, did it get there when it was supposed to? Um, and there's other markers, a little bit technical, but there's, there's other markers that you look at whenever you do this quantitative analysis of, of the EEG that can tell you if there is dysregulation in a certain region of the brain. Okay. So, so um, you, you mentioned something, and I'm wondering if this is in line with that, but I've had people after a traumatic brain injury, they tell me, Abe, I've got the words on the tip of my tongue, but I can't get them out. Is that what you're talking about with the, like, uh, where the brain just isn't correlating? They know what they want to say. They just can't say it. Yeah, most certainly. And so, um, I actually just saw a lady yesterday. So we did a quantitative EEG. She was having some issues. The other reason why we want to know specifically exactly what part of the brain is not functioning appropriately, you know, the electrical circuits are, are not working appropriately is it can tailor therapy. So I just saw a lady yesterday where I was looking at the quantitative EEG and her left parietal region wasn't working appropriately. And so she kind of alluded to me before she was, you know, a lot of this stuff is so vague. People don't even realize what their deficiency is. And it's hard for them to verbalize it. But she was kind of telling me that she just, she was driving. This is the first time I met her. Well, yesterday was the second time I met her. But the first time I had my, um, you know, encounter with her, she's like, yeah, I just feel really turned around. She was saying that, but it was just very vague. So then I got the quantitative uh, EEG information. I saw that her left parietal region was not working appropriately. Your left parietal region actually processes visual spatial information. And so then when now I had the EEG sitting there, I started asking her more, uh, you know, uh, questions in depth in regards to like, you know, when you're driving, do you feel like you're getting really turned around or like, are you getting lost when you're driving? And she just starts laughing and I'm kind of sitting there waiting for her to stop laughing. And I'm like, what's so funny? And she goes, you know, ever since the accident, my husband has actually called me geographically challenged. <laughs> And so it's just one of those things I never would have answered, you know, asked that question. She never probably would have offered that information to me, okay. but then now knowing that she's getting turned around and then she was telling me other stuff too. She's like, yeah, you know, I was trying to like rearrange the, the room the other day and I couldn't rearrange the room. I thought things would fit like, you know, the couch will fit there and then the mm. nightstand will fit over there. But I was like way off. Wow. So she's telling me stuff like that. It's almost like, you know, Tetris, you know, she's like terrible yeah. at Tetris now. And so oh, no. when, with that information though, now I can more specifically build a treatment uh, program for her, a therapy program for her to actually help her aid her uh, kind of get better. And one of the things I told her is, you know, you need to start doing, you know, there's games that you can do on your phone that are, you know, sort of, uh, you know, moving around objects and, and, and changing and, uh, the 
position of objects. You can start doing puzzles. I was Tetris. telling her. Would Tetris be good for her? Tetris would probably be <laughs> great for her. I mean, just, yeah, to, just to go back to that for a second, yeah. you know, get one of those old uh, Sony Playboys again um, <laughs> and then start doing that. And so that's why it's important to to do that, that particular study because that okay. tells you really kind of zones in. Yeah, you can see where the injury is on the, on the MRI. Um, that will obviously give you a lot of information and you can kind of tailor your therapy to that. But then there, you know, the MRI with DTI is not a hundred percent. There can still be some minor injury that is disrupting the cells so that they're not exactly speaking to one another as they should be as in with this lady. Yeah. You know, you just brought that up. I, I, I forgot to cover that with DTI scans. Um, one of the leading experts in the country for the NFL concussion cases, um, uh, he's in Port St. Lucie. Uh, he puts on the bottom of his report, I miss 30 or 40% of DT of brain injuries uh, with my scan because this is not a 100% accurate uh, way to test for brain injuries. But mm-hmm. when I find one, I know it's there. And I, I always mm-hmm. joke with the clients, I tell them, I'm like, listen, your doctor recommended you for a DTI scan. Just because it comes back negative doesn't mean anything. And then I explain that to them. And and it's always, inter- it's like, hey, I'm going to go get an HIV test. And then it's like, mm-hmm. yes or no, right? It's not, uh, well, we're, we're, we're wrong 30 to 40% Maybe. of the time here. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like, no, nah, I, I kind of want a definitive answer here. It was a, it was a rough night last night and, it, you know, I need to know. Uh, but that's how, that's unfortunately where the technology is. It's not 100% the DTI scan. Um, so that's why we try to pair those things together. That's why okay. you're doing more than just one study. You know, you're going to do the MRI with DTI. You're going to do this quantitative EEG. Okay. And now there's some other ancillary studies that you could do that are much less uh, sensitive and specific to traumatic brain injury, but may give you a little bit of information. And so there's kind of a collection of other tests that you can do, um, starting off with balance testing when you knock your head real good, um, you can, you know, disrupt the communication between the mechanism that controls balance in your inner ear okay, and the parts of your brain that actually help you maintain balance. You know, those connections can be disrupted. So you, you get some balance testing, but, but the balance um, testing could be from anything else as well. It's not yeah, completely the reason, related. Yeah. The reason right? I say it's not sensitive or specific, okay. um, is, uh, you know, it's not specific. You could have issues with balance from before because as a child, you had a lot of ear infections okay. or, um, you can have uh, benign positional vertigo and, and that's causing your balance issues. Mm, Those have okay. nothing to do with traumatic brain injury. If you have an ear infection, that's obviously not traumatic brain injury, but it'll still kind of throw you off a little bit. Right. So okay. you kind of have to take, take them with a grain of salt, right? Mm-hmm. So there's balance testing, there's video nystagmography. What that is, is it looks at your eyes. So, um, it's the drunk test that the police officer gives you <laughs> if you've been drinking and driving and Uh-oh. they want you to kind of follow that pencil back and forth. Okay. Um, basically you, your eyes, they seem very simple, right? You kind of move your head side to side and you're still looking at me or, you know, somebody throws something and you're kind of watching the ball go, go across the screen, mm-hmm. but it's actually very complex. There's a lot of different connections and there's a lot of different, um, parts circuits that help your eyes move in the way that they do. And so when you do 
we call them VNG, video nice diagram. Um, when you do one of these VNG tests, you're, you're looking at the eyes and you're seeing, okay, are they moving side to side very smoothly? Um, are they able to kind of follow objects or are they kind of bouncing around? And is there some sort of disruption that is not allowing them to work appropriately? So that's another test. But again, same sort of thing. There's other things that can happen that can disrupt those findings. Obviously, if you drink alcohol, you're probably not going to pass one of those tests. <laughs> um, and then more specifically, you can actually look at the nerves themselves. And so you can look at the optic nerve and see if it's intact by doing something called an evoked potential. Basically what that is, they flash some lights in your eyes and then they have electrodes on your head recording the electrical activity and it just sees if the pulses are coming through at a time point when they should be. Okay. We have everything mapped out nowadays and we know exactly how long it takes a pulse of light, you know, photons to hit your retina and then get absorbed uh, by the uh, photoreceptors, send a little electrical impulse all the way down your optic nerve and through the track all the way to, you know, the occipital cortex wow. and other structures. And we know the time. And so if it's longer than it should be, it's like, wait a minute. I know that that pulse of light was supposed to go from your retina to the back of your head in this amount of time, but it's taking longer. Therefore, there may be some kind of injury to your optic nerve when you were in the car accident or where you, when you fell. Same sort of thing with your ears. We can send little clicks of noise and measure the same sort of time points. Oh, okay. Um, and then lastly, the last sort of ancillary test that we do is autonomic testing. Your autonomic nervous system can be disturbed uh, and disrupted if you have a, a concussion or traumatic brain injury. What's so, autonomic? I don't. Just saying that, yeah, I feel the, like you. If, if you can, if you can't say it, I feel like that's indicative of a brain injury. But how do you? <laughs> <laughs> what's autonomic for people like me who are not as? Uh, so you're you're. Uh, it's it's kind of like what it sounds. Uh, auto. So autonomic uh, auto uh, just means that it just operates kind of uh, autonomously and, and almost sort of by itself. You don't even it's the it's the nervous system that you don't even perceive. OK, so I'll, I'll give you examples. Um, your digestion is controlled by your autonomic nervous system. You know, you're not having to sit there and, OK, think about swallowing. <laughs> OK, I need to swallow this steak. It needs to make it down to my stomach. And then yeah. you're like thinking about your stomach. Okay, stomach, churn, 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 you know, like digest this food. Okay. So that's one thing. Um, another thing is your your blood pressure is autonomic. Your, your body just controls it automatically. Okay. Um, sweating is autonomic. The actual, your pupillary response, you know, when you go into like a, a, a light room, the pupils become smaller. When you go into a dark room, the pupils get bigger to bring in more light. That's autonomic. Um, and the that part of the nervous system, again, this is the part of the nervous system you don't think about. It just carries out activities automatically. Um, it's It's got two branches. One is parasympathetic and one is sympathetic. And so those are like the whole rest and digest is parasympathetic. And then the sympathetic is your... You know, becoming very active. Um, you know, your quote unquote adrenaline, adrenaline is pumping, right? Blood pressure okay. goes up. Um, you start, you know, sweating. Uh, you know, some other things happen. And so, if you have now a disruption between the two of those, because they're supposed to be in balance, 
you know, you should want to relax when you want to relax and you should want to be very active when you want to be active. They should be in balance. If they go out of balance, what can happen is your sympathetic nervous system, the one that stimulates you, can become overactive. And I see people that have intense anxiety to the point of panic, that they have mm. panic attacks after their head injury. And that's wow. most likely we believe because the the sympathetic nervous system is is just overactive because of that imbalance between the two. Wow. Okay. Um, change in personality. What are your thoughts on that? What advice can you give uh, for that? I hear that that's the number one or most um, people are told, oh man, that guy had a change in personality. He's never been the same since the accident, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. any, any input on that or thoughts on that? Yeah. So a lot of the times when people get these injuries, they have uh, frontal lobe injuries. And so your frontal lobes control executive function. And, um, really the way that the brain works is the way that our brain, the human brain is the most different from other animals is the development of the, the frontal regions of the brain. And so what they frontal regions do is they, they kind of allow you to behave, you know, okay. in layman's terms. So, you know, you're not going to go in a grocery store and just start, you know, pulling stuff off the shelf and eating a whole bunch of things, even though you're hungry. I do that. You may buy, if you may buy a few more things, right? We, we yeah. all do that. Like, you know, you kind of fill up your cart and then you get home and you're like, man, what the, you, you eat something. You're like, what the heck did I buy? Oh yeah. I've been there too. <laughs> I, I think I, I spent, um, well, this is, uh, you know, before inflation, but I, I spent like, uh, $400 one time cause I was so hungry. <laughs> I just, I couldn't stop buying stuff at the grocery store. I, I do that. My but, wife uh, knows when I'm hungry cause I come home with all these sweets and she's like, damn it. She's like, eat before you go. So I totally feel you. Yeah. Right. So, um, so they allow you to behave your, the, uh, the frontal regions of your brain allow you to, to behave. And, um, when they're injured, we call it becoming disinhibited. And so now, whereas before you could control your behaviors and you're a part of society and you're, you know, do everything that you should be doing, you know, you're like standing in line at the bank very patiently, okay. or you're, you know, suppressing the urge to, you know, do X, Y, or Z. Now, because they're injured, you're just out there, you're going to say whatever you want to say, you're going to do whatever you want to do. Um, and so that's probably the biggest, you know, change in personality. Uh, another aspect of it is people become very irritable. You become very irritable. That's another symptom of uh, of concussion is irritability, and then kind of swinging towards the other side of things. Depression is a large component of of concussion and traumatic brain injury. Mm -hmm. um, people just get into these extremely depressed states, even if they have no history of depression and their life is just the same as before. They can fall into these dark places um, from the head injury. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you find? Um you know, people come to you, it's, it's interesting, like they, they come to you, but you didn't know them before the accident. So you, you, you can't document a change in personality. Um, is how hard is it for you to figure that out? I mean, is that, is that really part of what you do? Is that more of a neuropsychologist, um, uh, issue or is that something that, 
Because I guess the only way they get it to that they would offer or volunteer that information is if the spouse was next to them and was like, this guy just hasn't been the same since the accident. Is that some, is that, is that a difficult thing for you to diagnose or do the people kind of blurt this out if they've had it a while? It is, it is difficult. And then you're, you're actually trying to figure out the degree of change as well. People are, when it comes to emotional states, uh, not as forthcoming Mm -hmm. and there's a very large stigma behind anxiety, depression. People don't want to tell you that, uh, they're irritable and they cussed out their spouse, you know, that morning before mm-hmm. they saw you. Uh, that's just kind of par for the course when it comes to psychiatry. Uh, as a neurologist, and then this goes for any neurologist, uh, 25% of our, our boards is actually in psychiatry. Oh, so, wow. yeah, yeah. We, we actually know, obviously, neurology, and that's kind of our primary specialty. But actually, 25% of our boards is actually psychiatry. Wow. And they go hand in hand. A lot of the neurologic conditions uh, will manifest with psychiatric disorder as well. So that's why it's set up that way. Um, but no, I, yeah, I, uh, I agree. It can, it can be very difficult to tease out exactly what's going on with these people that we, we have screening sort of questionnaires that, that you can give. And oh, okay. typically the encounter is lasting a duration of time where you're kind of getting to see what's going on this person, you know, cause we're going through step by step by step. When I do my evaluations, my initial evaluation, it's an hour long. Mm-hmm. And so within wow. that hour, people are having to be patient. They're having to wait. They're having to answer a lot of different questions. And so you can kind of see if they're like short tempered or you can kind of glean if they're anxious before I even ask them usually. Um, and then there's actually a screening tool for depression that, that I typically use, um, that, 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 uh, you know, psychiatrists and neurologists use, or even primary awesome. care doctors use to, to try to screen for depression. Wow. That's cool. Uh, you know, the question is always, uh, were you always an asshole or just after the accident? You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> that's when you got, yeah, you can't ask you that these days. Family member, you know, like, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. But, uh, but it's sad though. Um, because, um, what I've noticed is um, in my office, the clients with the brain injuries are among the most difficult to um, communicate with. They're irritable. They're anxious. They're, they don't answer their phones. Uh, they forget to go to their doctor's appointments. Um, so you're kind of like a, like a hero here because <laughs> a lot of your patients you. probably are not uh, they're, they're not in the right state. They're not in the best state of mind, right? They're, they're really lost in the sauce. I, uh, I say this in the nicest way, but, uh, you know, I, I talk to people all day, every day that actually have brain damage and it, it can be difficult, you mm-hmm. know? And, and I think from my perspective and, and, you know, this goes, this is the same for any, uh, neurologist or, or really even any physician, you know, you got to kind of give these people some grace and just be patient with them Yeah, because they have brain damage. You know, you're right. like trying to get information out of them. And if you become frustrated with them, I mean, what, what does that say about you? You know, you, you right. really have to be patient because you know, they're impaired. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's tough. Cause the staff is like, Hey, let's, let's drop this client. He's calling here screaming, yelling every day. I'm like, the, the guy has a brain injury, you know, yeah. uh, he's not, it, it's, it, it's like, it's, uh, he's not a jerk. He has a brain injury. He doesn't know. Like mm-hmm. you said, uh, what was the word you use? Dis, disassociated? Disinhibited. Disinhibited. Yeah. Disinhibited. yeah. 
That's uh, I'll try explaining that to the staff. You, you, by the way, do a phenomenal job of dumbing things down for people. Um, I'm not a doctor. I appreciate the, you know, we have the cells on top and then it's a bunch of wires in the middle. I appreciate yeah, that kind of go. stuff. Um, <laughs> you, you were losing me with the MRIs and the this and the that. Don't and I was talk like, about anything about, uh, you know, magnets or, or <laughs> yeah. big magnet, molecules. big magnet. I could do big <laughs> magnet. Big magnet's easy. Rainbow spaghetti. I get it. Yeah, See? We, we'll talk about that <laughs> offline. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. So um, anything else you want to leave viewers with um, about um, uh, when they should come see you? What, um, what, 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 if I, ha- if I think I have a brain injury, right? And I want to call you, like what, um, we're obviously going to post your contact information, but yeah, most certainly. I guess under what circumstances uh, would you say you want to see people or, or they should reach out to you at your office or something mm-hmm. like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, most certainly. So people get better. Uh, people get knocked out and, you know, lose consciousness. They have a concussion and they go back to normal. Uh, you know, look at uh we'll just, we'll just go to, you know, like high school football players or even soccer players, right? You, you can kind of start there. You know, there's a soccer player, he or she gets knocked out, you know, they're out for whatever, 10, 20 seconds, and they kind of come back too. Um, and within three weeks, a month from that time point, you would never even know that that happened. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's the majority of people. I get knocked out. I'm not even going to, we're not even talking about accidents, right? We're just, right. we're talking about sports related injuries. And right. so the vast majority of people who who have a mild concussion, they, they get better. It's, it's just like spraining your ankle, right? You have a minor, a minor sprain to your ankle. You know, that's hopefully not going to affect you for the rest of your life. You just stay off your ankle for whatever, four or six weeks, and then slowly, slowly start walking on it again. And you know, whatever, six months, from that time, you never even knew you, you sprained your ankle. And so what I'm more concerned about is persistent symptoms. Okay. okay that, that's, that's where, where it's really like, okay, well, you know, something happened here and, and you're having some persistent symptoms. Um, and we, we need to do something about it. You know, we need to talk about it. We need to do something about it. I have a lot of people that have very severe headaches, dizziness. Um, you know, and, and here's back to the whole emotional thing. Uh, I had a patient who had no history of depression and was having severe depression to the point that they wanted to kill themselves. Wow. And I actually had to start that person on medication. If I didn't see that person and they just kept on going down, down, you know, circling the drain, where, where would they be? Mm-hmm. And so th- those are the sort of things where a red flag goes up. You, you need to reach out. You need to either get in contact with me or see another neurologist um, and, uh, you know, get get yourself diagnosed, first of all, figure out what's going on and then and then get some treatment. Um, I think that one other thing that we can touch on is the actual treatment for okay. traumatic brain injury. Yeah. Yeah. And so it just it really depends on what part of your brain you you injured. So your brain is subdivided into all these different parts. Um, they're actually called Broadman areas. And e- each one of these parts of your brain does a different function. And so you can think about the bigger things. We talked about the 
front part of your brain that does the executive functioning and planning, reasoning, those sort of things. But then you think about the left side of your brain, that's where language is contained in most people. Language is on the left sort of temporal region. And that is even subdivided. There's actually even two parts of that. There's a part of your brain that actually receives language. And there's a part of your brain that actually forms speech and kind of puts words out there. Mm -hmm. And so I'll give you an example. If you were to injure the part of your brain that actually receives language, you would not be able to understand what I was saying, even though you were still able to kind of form words and, and sentences, you would have no idea what I was talking about though. I'd be asking you questions um, and you would just be talking about stuff completely off the wall. Um, and so, and then, you know, obviously the back part of your brain is, is for vision. The temporal regions are for memory. Um, I, I was, we're talking about that parietal region is for visual spatial information. And so actually bringing the person in and figuring out, okay, what exact part of the brain is injured? Once you understand that, then you can actually do the therapy that you need to do. So example, the, the example was that lady that was having difficulty with visual spatial stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was telling her, you're going to need to start, uh, you know, manipulating objects, you know, start doing games, whether you want to do Tetris or whether you want to start doing little puzzles, um, start doing that stuff so that you can rehab. Um, if somebody's having a speech deficit, there's speech therapy. Um, I had a patient who injured their cerebellum, which is controlled in balance. So she needed balance therapy, but then also her left hand, she was left-handed. She wasn't able to write as well. Mm. And, and so that's, that's huge. Right. So I actually had to send her to occupational therapy. Was that, was that um, because her, sorry, was that because her brain wasn't sending signals to her fingers on like where to move them? Or was that, um, yep, exactly. The connections were broken wow. and you could actually see where that, that's what was so nice about the DTI. I actually looked at the, the DTI. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. I, myself, whenever I examined her, I, I noticed that she was having some, some deficit in the hand. Um, but I was struggling to, to figure out what exactly was, was going on with her. But man, as soon as that DTI came out and I looked at it, I was just like, oh, wow, this is exactly what's going on with her. Extremely mm. clearly what's going on with her. Okay. Otherwise, it, you know, if we didn't have the, the, the DTI, it would have been a situation like, oh, okay, well, you're like a little clumsy with your hand now. I don't know. Is that in, in the brain, you know, that part of the brain that actually puts out the information to, to write things? Um, or is it your memory? Like, are you not remembering what to write down? You know, it could have right. been in multiple different spots in her brain and that would have needed different types of therapies. But now that I knew it was the connection that actually helps the coordination of movements, specifically, I'm sending her to occupational therapy to help with the coordination as wow. opposed to sending her to something like speech therapy um, or like, you know, cognitive rehab. So, so the, these tests actually do change the, the treatment protocols that, uh, okay. that we do. And then let me just kind of leave with one overarching message here. Your brain is just like the rest of your body. Your brain has a lot of extra brain cells and it's very plastic. The, the reason we call it plastic is because it has the ability to change throughout time. And even if you lose some function, if you get the necessary rehab, 
you can go back to how you were before. We see this all the time in stroke. Um, you know, when I was uh, doing, you know, neuro hospitalist you know, on the inpatient, we see a lot of, a lot of stroke, a lot of stroke patients, mm-hmm. these people become profoundly affected. You know, they have some big stroke and they can't move one side of their body and we do everything that we can. We try to figure out why, why they had the stroke and we make sure that they're stable and those sort of things. And a lot of times we discharge them from the hospital. They still can't move one side of their body. But then you see them back in clinic in about six months and they're moving that, that side, you know, they're, they're moving their extremities and you're like, Oh, okay. Like you look like you're doing pretty good. And and this is because they're doing rehab in between now, mind you, right? Like they're doing a lot of physical therapy to try to regain the, the movement in that, that limb. And so that's at six months. And then you see them at a year. I've literally seen patients walk into my office. They're walking just fine. They're moving that extremity just fine as if they never had a stroke. Mm-hmm. And that's because they got that rehab. And so you can see just how plastic the brain is. If you cannot even move one side of your body and then, you know, flash forward a year, mind you, you're getting pretty intensive physical therapy right, right, during right. that year period of time. On the other side, you, you're regained, you know, 90% of that function. And so it's the same thing for, for uh, concussion and traumatic brain injury. You have to do the right therapies. And a lot of these therapies are very intensive. They take a long period of time, but you know, hope, is, hope is still there that uh, you can regain some function if you do the appropriate rehabilitation. Okay. Is, is, there, is there a window on that rehab for, for brain injury? Do you feel like there's a window or is this something where... Yeah, I always like to tell this story. Um, so I was working um, uh, at a rehab facility in, in Jacksonville, and uh, I was interviewing this lady, and she had a stroke. She was a stroke patient, and um, we're talking, talking, and I'm kind of like looking through her records as, as she's sitting there. We're just getting to know each other. I'd, I'd never met her before. We're just getting to know each other, and I'm looking through the records, and I'm <clears throat> I'm, I'm seeing aphasia. Aphasia means speech deficit. And, um, she had, uh, she had difficulty getting the words out. Remember speech is divided into two regions, words in words out. So she was having difficulty, um, getting words out. She could still understand, but couldn't speak. And I'm seeing this on her chart and I'm talking to her and she's talking just fine to me. Maybe there's like a little bit of a like slur or, you know, almost imperceptible though. And so we're talking, talking. And so she ended up telling me that she had this really profound stroke and she couldn't speak. Well, she was a um, college professor. And so because she couldn't speak, she was just profoundly devastated. You know, obviously she couldn't work anymore. And she just went into this really bad depression. And it was years. She actually told me, I saw her at the nine year time point. She told me that for the first, I think it was five or six years, she could not speak and she was just severely depressed. Then finally she went to go see a therapist. She saw psychiatry. They put her on depression medications and she started speech therapy. And so for years, you know, for about a year or two, she was doing really intensive speech therapy. I -hmm. saw her at year nine and you would not know that she had a stroke. Wow. That's fantastic. That's great. So there is hope out there for people with uh, traumatic brain injury 
rehab therapy, they can mm-hmm. improve. Okay. That's awesome. That's Absolutely. awesome news. Cause I, I, you know, I, I feel worse for my clients with a brain injury than I do for the ones that let's say need a neck surgery. Cause neck surgery is very easy. If you get a good neck surgeon, they're going to fix you. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. you won't be like your, you know, I always tell the clients, maybe you won't be like when you're 18, but mm-hmm. it'll be a lot better than a uh, level eight, nine, 10 pain for the rest of your life. But with the brain injury, it's, it's, um, very difficult. So are these therapies it, done? It is though. It is. I, I don't want to, you know, n- n- this whole thing is not rainbows and unicorns. It's, it's a case by case situation. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's very important to get the rehab that you need. Um, but I, I don't want to sit here and say that every single person is going to get 100% better. That, mm-hmm. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm saying that the potential to get better is, is out there. Right. Um, and, and your brain is, uh, you know, can be rehabilitated. Awesome. Awesome. Well, still, um, thanks so much, doc. Uh, my, my, my last question with you is, is the therapy available in, do you do everything via telehealth besides the, um, diagnostics or. Yeah. So no, therapy? what I do is I actually, you know, I do telehealth for, for seizure patients, uh, you know, dementia, um, um, headache, but, but usually for my evaluations of anybody that may have had head trauma, just because it's so intense and there's so many different regions and there's so many different things that can go wrong. No, I usually see them face to face. And so, um, yeah, I do actually see them, um, in, in Jacksonville. Um, you know, I have a, I have a clinic there or here in Jacksonville, uh, with, in which I see these, uh, concussion slash traumatic brain injury patients. Um, the, usually the first encounter is a face to face just so okay. I can get a really good understanding of what's going on, do a good exam, those sort of things. Um, and then any sort of follow-up, um, encounters, usually I actually do telehealth just to kind of follow okay. up on what, what did we find on the MRI? What do we find on the EEG? What do we need to do X, Y, or Z? that's usually kind of how I practice. Okay. And how long is the EEG by the way? Is that, is that 15 minutes? Is that an hour? Is that, what is that? Oh, you're cutting out. I can't, is that? It's, it's 20 minutes. Oh, there it goes. 20, 20 minutes. minutes. Okay. Gotcha. Oh, oh okay. did I cut out? Yeah. It okay, cut out yeah, when you said minutes. the minutes, but I, yeah. So it's 20 minutes. Okay, cool. Um, awesome. Okay. I was curious about that. So, all right, doc. So, um, thank you so much for joining us. We've been together about an hour now. Um, uh, we're going to definitely throw your contact information up on the uh, uh, YouTube channel and uh, we'll send you a link when everything's all said and done. All right. Thanks, Doc, for joining us. Really appreciate Sounds you. Sounds good. Abe, thank you so much. And thank you for what you do. Thanks, Doc. Appreciate you. Take care. Okay. Later. Yeah. See you. Bye. Bye.